The following story has been brought to you by StoriesToInspire.org. When I was a very young rabbi, I would eagerly accept any offer to speak to any crowd, even if I had no business doing so. So this is back in, uh, it's got to be, I don't know, 2005. I got a call from an organization called Gildas Club. Gilda's Club is named after Gilda Radner, Allah Shalom, who was a comedic actress and a Jewish woman who passed away at a very young age because of uh, ovarian cancer. And her husband, Gene Wilder, Allah Shalom, also a Jew, in her memory, he's, he's passed away since, but after she passed away, Gene Wilder created uh, an organization called Gilda's Club, and it's, a, it's like a clubhouse where people with any form of cancer, it's not specific which form, but anyone who has cancer can come there. It's not a medical facility. It's a, it's a social services organization, and they provide social uh, programs. So I got a call from Gilda's Club, and they said, Rabbi, and I don't even know how they found me. Like, this is before, I, as I remember, this is before, like, the, the ubiquity of Google. This is probably like a Yellow Pages type thing. So they, they probably were just going randomly through the Yellow Pages. But they, they, they called me and said, Rabbi, would you come and speak at Gilda's Club about faith in the face of adversity? And I'm like, yeah, no problem. Okay. So then I realized these people are all there because they have cancer. And I'm going to speak about faith in the face of adversity. Like, who am I? And the most likely outcome is I'm going to say something I think is inspiring, and I'm going to offend them, God forbid, which is the last thing that I want to do. And, and, but this only occurred to me as I was pulling up to the place. I was really eager. I had my whole talk, and everything's for the good. And then I'm like, are you going to tell people who are battling a serious illness, everything's good, everything's good. Like, what am I doing here? So actually... I was pulling up, and I, and I had a change of heart. I was going to drive off. The lady, I really was about to drive off. I got carjacked. Not literally carjacked, but effectively. The lady who was the organizer of the place, she saw me. She recognized me. She opened up the door of my car. She opened the door. She's like, Rabbi, come on. They're waiting. So I was stuck. So I'm walking with her. I'm walking down the steps. There's like these... It was in a basement. It was in a, in a, like a social hall in a basement. So we're, we're walking down the steps, and I'm thinking to myself, this is terrible. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. If at any point they say to me, you're offending us, I made up my mind already. I'm just going to say, you're right, I'm sorry, and I'm going to be done. And that's it. That's all I'm going to do. By the way, I did not make that decision when I walked into here tonight. So you can tell me I'm offending. I'm going to keep going. But as I'm walking down the stairs, I'm like, that's it. If they tell me you're offensive, I'm going to be like, you're right. I'm wrong. I'm sorry. And I'm just going to stop. Okay. So then I was relieved. At least I have a plan. But I go a couple more steps down the stairs. And I'm like, no, this is not a good plan. There's a flaw to my plan. The flaw to my plan is, I don't know if you guys realize this, but people look at me. And they tend to associate me with Judaism. Yeah. I was in the airport 
last week I was in Atlanta. Some, some guy comes over and he says, Rabbi. I'm like, yeah, how do you know? I, don't know. I forget. So it's not a good plan because it's okay if they think I'm an idiot. It's not okay if they think that 3,000 years of tradition is irrelevant or offensive or anything like that, God forbid. It's called a chilol Hashem. It's called the desecration of Hashem's name. It's not, it's not cool. So I'm like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I had to go. I was walking up already. So I came up with a plan on the fly. I'm like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm totally just going to make something up. Okay, but here's what, there was a method to the madness. I'm going to totally make something up. If they like it, we'll leave it alone, okay? If they don't like it, if they say, you're offending us, so here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say to them, you know, I really regret that I made this all up. I should have told you what Judaism has to say. <laughs> you get it? That, okay, don't judge me. That was... I had like two seconds to come up with a plan. Okay, but you get it? Like I have an out. I can always throw myself under the bus and be like, yeah, that was just something I made up because I'm an idiot. That's not what Judaism says. Next time get a real rabbi and he'll tell you what, what Judaism says. Okay. The best I could come up with on the fly. So I get up there and I say, and I'm just, I'm going to make something up, completely made up. So I get up there and I say, I was thinking the other day. Well, that part wasn't made up because I had been thinking <laughs> previous to that event. But not about what I said I was thinking. It wasn't even true. I don't even know. Why, why do people do that? When they, like, the other day. Just Why does it make it more? Anyways, I was thinking. I, I wasn't really thinking the other day. I thought about it that moment, like on the spot. I said, I, thought, I was thinking the other day about French New Wave cinema. About the Nouvelle Vague. And they were very into what they called auteur theory, author theory. The, the, the French New Wave Cinema filmmakers, they weren't just filmmakers, they studied cinema. And they would talk a lot about what makes great cinema. So one time they were sitting around, they are having like a little cinematic fabrengen, as I envision it. And one of the guys there was Francois Truffaut. And... Uh, they asked him, well, they asked everybody, who's the greatest auteur? Who's the greatest film author? And they all had like, their different answers. And they came to Truffaut. They said, who's the greatest film author? So Truffaut says, hands down, Alfred Hitchcock. Alfred Hitchcock's greatest film author. Okay. I'm not going to tell you whether that's my opinion or not. I'm telling you, this is, this is, this is how it happened. That's what Truffaut said. Hitchcock's the greatest film author. So they said, Francois, that's great, but why? Why is Hitchcock, in your estimation, the greatest film author? So Truffaut says, one reason. Because in his entire career, in his entire massive body of work, all the hours of film that he put on the screen, and there's not one single superfluous shot. If Hitchcock put it on the screen for even a second, it had meaning. It had to be there. It was integral to the storytelling. There was no filler. So in my estimation, that's what makes Hitchcock the greatest film author. That's what Truffaut says. So I'm at Gilda's Club. I say, I'm asking myself this question. In yeshiva, they taught me how to like make logical arguments. So I'm thinking to myself like this. 
could I say as much for God and the film that he's making about me and showing to me that God has managed to do as well in that movie as Truffaut says Hitchcock managed to do in his career. I thought about that. And I said to myself, well, it's a Kalvachimer. Logically, yes, it must be. Because who made Hitchcock? <laughs> God made Hitchcock. So if Hitchcock could do it, then the one who made Hitchcock could certainly do it. So yes, it is possible. I could say that my life is a story without a superfluous shot. Now, let me explain what that means. That does not mean that it's all pleasant, agreeable, likable. No, not at all. However, that actually makes sense to me too, because once I start thinking about it in narrative terms, protagonist, antagonist, conflict, resolution, three-act structure, that whole thing, well, then it becomes obvious to me that a good story isn't a story with all good moments. In fact, we would say that's a very bad story. That's a boring story. Nothing happened. Nobody ever threw a novel across the room and said, I can't believe what trash this is. The main character who I'm supposed to like wants something and he keeps on not being able to get it. Nobody said that that's a bad story. To the contrary, that's called a page turner. Let's see if he gets it. He's down for the count. There's no way he can come back. That's compelling. That's a narrative. That's a story. That's a good story. And the more impossible it seems for the protagonist to eventually accomplish his goal and then to accomplish it anyway and it not to be a contrivance, that's storytelling. So is it possible there are moments of my life that are unpleasant? Horrific! Moments of my life that are horrific! And yet, if I'm looking at it as a story, it's, it's, it's not a bad story. It's not a bad story. He's not wasting my time. You know, the Baal Shem taught that everything we see and everything we hear is a message from God. This is not just talking to the prophets who actually heard God's voice. The Baal Shem said, each and every one of us who is awake to reality will see communication, teachings from the Creator in everything that occurs to us, everything that happens. That's how God speaks to us, through our lives. I heard somebody once say that in school, you're given the lesson and then you take the test. And in life, you take the test and you're given the lesson. How do we learn? We learn through experience. School of hard knocks. Now, I don't wish it on anyone. Certainly not myself. I wish us all an easy life. I told you already, if I were running for God, no more paper cuts. But I can understand, if I'm looking at it purely from a narrative perspective, I get it, I get it, I get it. I can say from my director of my film, 
that he's at least as good as Hitchcock. He's at least as good as Truffaut thought Hitchcock was. So, uh, hold, hold on here. I told you already that I made that up. That was my ability that if they got offended, I'm going to apologize and going to tell them I'm just some crackpot who says stuff that he made up. So at that point, I heard a voice. And I want to explain something to you as best as I can try to convey this. You know how sometimes you're aware of somebody's presence before you've actually looked at them? You haven't really... With your five senses, maybe you don't know they're there, but somehow you're, you know that they're there. There was a woman in the room who was a very strong presence. And it's almost like I felt she was going to speak the whole time. And at one point, at this point, I hear a booming voice. And she said one word. She said, Rabbi! And it was like that. That's the best impression I could. Rabbi! Like a booming voice like that. And I looked. And I was like, oh yeah. I can't explain another one uh, in any other way than to say. I looked. And I was like, oh yeah. Like, yeah, that's, that's you. I didn't know who she was. I never met her. I don't think I had looked at her at that, till that point. But I was like, yeah, that's that energy that I was aware of. And, and, and I'm like, yes. And she says, I have to say something. And in my mind, I'm trying to work out something, something else now. Because I already have a plan that I'm about, I'm about to apologize. But at this point, I'm trying to adjust the booming voice with this very frail body. Because she was very, very frail. In fact, when she spoke, she stood up. And I remember thinking to myself, distinctly, I remember thinking to myself, I hope she doesn't hurt herself. Because when she was standing, she was so frail. When she stood up, I was afraid she was going to get hurt. But her voice was booming. So she's like, Rabbi! And she stands up. I have to say something. Like, yes! And I'm ready. And she says, My friends all think that I'm crazy when I tell them, No, I don't wish that I, don't wish that I never got cancer. They say, Oh, no, you're giving up. You, she says, I'm not giving up. I'm, I'm, I want to live many healthy, happy years. Oh, so you wish you never got it? No, I don't wish I never got it. And she says, We get into this loop that's like this silly semantic argument to them it is and she says it's very frustrating to me and i feel very lonely because this is very important to me this is a very important idea to me and i cannot communicate it to my friends no i don't wish that i never got it i don't wish that i never got it i don't i want to live yeah i want to live but i don't wish that i never got it and i don't know how to explain that paradox to them until now she says until now now it's very simple to me how to explain it. There's only one reason why I don't wish that I never got it. One reason. And the reason is because I did. I did get it. That is what happened. So now, retroactively, to wish to have not gotten it means to wish for some other life. Because that's not what happened in my life. In my life, I did get it. Now in my life, I'm looking forward to living that's the future, that's open. But as far as the past, that's what happened in my life. So to now wish that that wasn't what happened in my life would be to wish for some other life. She says, I don't want to live some other life. I don't want to live some other story. I want to live my life. 
I want to live the story that God is telling me. This was like the most powerful moment for me, for me in my personal life, the most powerful moment of just, that's what faith is. That's what faith is. That's what it is. That's what it is. She said it. She said it. I don't want to live some other life. I don't want to live some other story. I want to live my life, my story, the story that God is telling me. That's what faith is. That's all it is. That's everything. See, because you want to know, you want to know, you know what, you want to know what it means that this woman wanted to live? Animals want to survive. Animals want to not die. They have a survival instinct. She was a human being. She wanted to live. You know what it means to want to live? To want to live doesn't just mean to want to stay alive in the future. To want to live means to want your life. To want your life. Not some other life. Not some imagined life. Not some alternate universe life. Not some theoretical life. Not the life that you should have had, that you could have had, that you imagined that you were going to have. To want to live means to embrace the perfection, the imperfect perfect of your life. Every detail of it. Every detail of it. Enjoyed this story? Come again. Bring a friend. Stories to inspire.org.